This episode contains discussion of alcohol recovery, addiction and mania. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Summer and welcome to the Worms podcast. Worms is a magazine outside of conventional publishing that works across form and genre to bring underrepresented writers to the literary topsoil. And oh yes, Wormies, we are opening up a can of worms with Octavia Bright. Recently, the author of This Ragged Grace, Octavia Bright, is a writer and broadcaster. She co-hosted Literary Friction, the literary podcast and NTS show with Carrie Pitt. Her writing has been published in a number of magazines, including The White Review, Harper's Bazaar, Elle, The Sunday Times, amongst others. So let's get straight into this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. How sober am I? Ten and a half years now. Oh my god, so I'm... I'm in recovery as well. That's what I was going to tell you, yeah. Okay. And for me, it's like my addiction was a full-time job. So I wouldn't even be able to do this. Yeah. You know, I'd I'd be so flaky. I'd probably be unreliable. I'd probably cancel, which is why I find it so fascinating that you said no, you'd be able to do the podcast even with the drinking. Well... I mean, I remember really clearly doing one show incredibly hungover and being like, this is not fun. I was doing my PhD as well, and I was flaky in that, like an alcoholic, like getting high on the work, feeling like a genius, which is never a good sign. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> a a genius or a piece of shit. Exactly, a genius <laughs> or a piece of shit. You literally can't put either of those things in your academic work. And the whole point of the academic perspective is that you are objective, right? The I is not present. There is no I in academic writing. Right. And that's a very difficult thing to do when you're in active addiction because active addiction is all about the self, right? Like you're obsessed yes. with the I and how you feel and how you think and like yes. that kind of <laughs> maniacal way of being. Yeah. But to be honest, if I hadn't got sober when I did, no, I mean, there's no way the podcast would have continued. Eventually I would have fucked up, of course, because I would have also been flaky. What do you think of this? I think because when I was in my active addiction, I would romanticize it a little bit. Oh my God, yeah. Especially being a creative person, I would be like, well, no, this is all part of it. I'm going to create amazing work because I'm so broken. Then once I got into recovery, it's like I had an epiphany where I was like, wow, it's actually, that's not true. It's like nonsense. what we've been sold, yeah. the artist that is broken, the artist must be broken. No, I couldn't, I couldn't produce any work whilst yeah. broken. The work you produce when broken, I think some people are able to do it, right? Like some people, some addicts are in active addiction remarkably productive. I don't know how they do it. I think it has to click into that mania thing. Think about someone like Amy Winehouse, right? Like she made art from the core of her kind of trouble a lot of the time. And she struggled with addiction and she struggled between being like lost in it and sober. And she shows us both right like she shows us that like there's a point at which addiction becomes something that kneecaps you and makes it impossible for you to work well and there often is with addicts in general there is a sweet spot where (laughs) there is something that you're able to tap into through it and that's why it's very hard to get sober if you're a creative person because I was so scared when I went into recovery I was like am I going to become boring yeah of course the fear of being boring is massive also addiction is extremely boring boring, right it's monotonous it doesn't have any surprises in it after a while oh my gosh can you relate to this 
the only reason why I can do a podcast and I don't generally get nervous with chatting to people is because of recovery for me because you're so used to sharing yeah. in a room full of people of 100%. different ages right yeah for sure for sure I remember thinking <laughs> why isn't everybody encouraged to be in this place not necessarily this one but a place with people from all walks of life from all age groups basically like why do we live in a world where we seek homogeneity all the time when actually what we need to be doing is speaking across massive differences because that's where so much magic happens that was something I thought that AA was an incredible oh my gosh so profound that right isn't it it's massive and it's an important lesson because it's very easy just to spend your time with people who look at things the way you do or who are your own age mates and I don't think that's a very productive way to live ultimately for your spiritual life for your kind of emotional life right I Um, mean my best friends are like 60 70 years old yeah and that's because of recovery it it changed my perspective on so many things yeah totally do you see writing as spiritual in any way or are you in touch with your higher power through writing would you say I feel like the flow state is like the best high I've ever had you know and it feels I can't not think of it in I suppose the language of addiction because I chase it you know um the way that I think if you are someone who lives with addiction I have learned to accept that I'm hardwired to chase highs and to chase pleasure but the pleasure of flow in writing is like freedom total freedom, freedom for me i feel free of myself yes. i feel Which free of my seek, ego right? exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like you, there's like a nakedness to it and it truly feels to me like something else is powering it and that is rare and amazing and exquisite it's rare yeah, yeah. i think it's so rare and i think it's rare for i mean all my writer friends yeah you know, you do the donkey's work, the leg work, the grueling, like, resting with your self-doubt, the research, mm. the, like, rejection of your own idea, all of that is, like, that's what you have to wade through and the reward is flow if it comes. Yeah. But I think also accepting that, like, a really large amount of the writing life is is drudgery and not flow. Say in your book, in terms of percentage of the writing, how much would be flow? Oh, my God. that's a really hard question to answer it's an amazing question I don't think I can tell you but I can tell you that I can tell you that like there are different there were different kinds of flow so when I talk about writing I'm not just talking about putting pen to paper or typing on a keyboard like for me writing is also walking it's also thinking like it's everything that happens before the pen hits the page as well in a way and so there is a type of flow Mm. that I get from the thinking part and the research part which is like the tingle of this like mad flash of inspiration and that's that comes much more frequently and sometimes it lies to me right like sometimes I get that and I'm like this is it this is it this is it and I pursue it and then it's a piece of piece of shit but like that feeling that tingle it's like a hook in your stomach like that just pulls you up and it's fantastic do you treat it as something magical like do you say thank you thank you yeah you know what I've never use the word magical but I definitely say thank you yeah yeah definitely <laughs> um thank you to to that thing I still can't name right like I still can't yeah pin it down but yes there is a sense of thank you there is a feeling of of gratitude for yes. sure and just like the luck like 
it's like striking gold, isn't it? It's like the, that feeling of fortune and fortuitousness. But that that kind of flow, I would say, comes and goes relatively frequently. The kind of flow that's the like real deep, I don't know, like soul shaking flow. That is the flow I experience in the writing that comes from expressing something that I sometimes in expressing it it becomes real to you right something that's always been hovering just outside of your reach or the way that certain things fit together so like writing the last chapter or the epilogue or whatever tends to happen in a kind of wild flow state because Mm. everything has clicked together and all of the threads I've laid out for myself along the way that I'm hoping will pay off but I don't really know because you don't know right so much of writing is just a leap of faith that these things and will work out. how do you deal with that? It's terrifying. It's terrifying, isn't it? I eat a lot of chocolate. What is it? Just for, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, is it just having faith? Yes, I think so. Having faith in your in yourself and your process. That's, I think, that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's really difficult. I think some writers use a very disciplined process as a way of navigating that but I'm not able to be that disciplined so that's not how it works for me I I spend a lot of time anxious about it you do yeah yes for sure um and actually I've learned to accept that that anxiety is part of my process how do you deal with that feeling though because I know we're both in recovery and and feelings overwhelm me so you said you eat chocolate before I eat chocolate I don't want to eat chocolate though because I know I get into an addictive oh yeah 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 yeah. so what could I do that's that's healthy I think moving the body is always the answer yeah getting outside getting into nature getting the like rays of light in your eyes literally like the physical processes I can become addicted to anything anything at all yeah whether it's like listening to podcasts eating chocolate walking swimming yes a relationship essentially there's always a part of me that's seeking external relief the need to escape the self can be beautiful and it can be transcendent and it can be important it can also be dangerous and self-harming and negative and I think seeking an absolute fixed certain path through it is harmful because life is flux always yeah, you've got a beautiful recovery i can tell oh, it's, darling, you're so you. gentle it's a gentle one i had to find a way to be gentle with it because yeah. it was yeah impossible otherwise Would you say you're always tended to yourself nowadays or, or, hell or no. no not at all okay <laughs> no not at all but i um i catch myself quicker when i'm being harsh right you know, um, I learned how to rest. Um, work addiction. I wouldn't call it work addiction. It's it was more a kind of anxious, neurotic, self punishing idea that I didn't deserve rest. Yeah. That like anxious need to escape the self is the. I find that the opposite of creativity. It's so uncreative. It's so needful which is the opposite of creativity to me. Like, it's not generative, right? It's just, like, a need to escape. Yes. Oh, my God. When you say it, I'm like, oh, man, that feeling, that's what I crave the most all the time. Even with books. Oh, yeah. That's what I want, escape from myself, escape from myself. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking as well, even with the podcast, how I don't really stick to a script. It's that... I want freedom. Yeah. Freedom. I want to feel free. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a bad impulse. 
it's I think it's really important not to label them not to label anything good or bad really when it comes to psychological processes right like you know this idea of total acceptance acceptance which means you accept your complexities you accept your ambivalences your inconsistencies you accept the fact that you can want to get fucked up and want to be sober at the same time and that that's a very challenging difficult state to be in but labeling either one of those impulses good or bad isn't particularly helpful the best thing to do is just accept that they both are and then make your choice and I choose recovery daily still I stop waiting to feel cured of that impulse I accept it's part of me which means when I am making choices I have to interrogate how active within myself that part of me is right so for example whenever I go anywhere new my almost always my initial feeling is like how can I move here like how can I move here right like (laughs) I went to Marseille in the south of France um, in the summer last year and I'd been in the city for like 30 minutes and I was like right this is it I've got to move here my new life in Marseille I was saying to my partner John like come on how can we do this how can you hustle with your work will they let you work remotely and he's like pipe down that's the addict right I tell you what and your book is very much about that that wherever you go you still take yourself yeah I studied in LA it was my dream my dream acting school and I was so miserable Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I thought, right, if I get into this school in LA, that's it. I'm going to be the happiest yeah. ever. I was so miserable. No, I had that in Paris too. Same Isn't thing. Isn't that mad? Isn't that mad? It is mad. And actually, it's a real, oh, such a painful lesson such to learn, isn't it? Lesson. It's such a painful lesson. <laughs> you can get all the gold stars yeah. that you think you need to validate your internal experience and they don't work i used to live in such a beautiful flat on notting hill Mm. and that was the most unhappy i've i've been as well you know and it does really make you think of i mean you hear it quite a lot when celebrities say you know i made it big earning millions yeah and they're still so unhappy yeah of course it's an inside job as they say in the rooms right but it's true i think it's really true and i think you know i look at like people i've met who have that sense of inner satisfaction and it's never about their success their external successes and I when I have glimmers of that feeling within myself it's actually very simple it's when I'm living within my principles basically my kind of ethical principles as much as it's possible to do which is actually very difficult in what way like what practical examples practical examples would be not chasing money, yes. not chasing validation, mm. right? Like those are things I do sometimes yeah. because I exist in the world, but they make me unhappy. They make me unhappy, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they're very unstable. Um, yeah. The times that I feel the most at peace are when I am I'm able to just be satisfied by what I have right now. It's not that like thrusting more 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 thing Um, and that comes from presence that comes from all those meditative principles that sometimes are so fucking difficult to reach for and feel really frustrating and far away but when they feel here it's that's freedom really and that can be a difficult thing to hold alongside creative drive because the, the drive to make something, um, to write, in my case, 
to capture an idea like that is about a sense of restlessness right and reaching for something yes and I think within that just to return to the the ego question I think like it's always a good question to ask yourself like am I doing this because I want the praise that I hope will follow or am I doing this because this is like an authentic question I want to answer for myself and for other people whatever like I think it can be really difficult to separate those things right yeah really difficult you know you're working in a creative industry it's a lot about externals do you do something every day that kind of keeps you sane amongst that I wish I was that regular with it it's difficult to resist the desire for wealth do you worry about money yeah yeah I do and I you know I grew up with a certain amount of privilege and I've had support from my family and I'm very open about it because I think yeah one of the things that's always frustrated me in in the world of publishing but also just generally in creative industries is how people are reluctant to be honest about what they come to the table with because there is this idea that it might devalue the work that you make but actually the idea that the arts has ever been anything close to a meritocracy is complete bullshit, right? Like, I think that there is no way that one's financial circumstances, whatever they might be, don't shape your perspective as an yeah. artist, as a person, as a thinker. And so putting that stuff on the table with as much good faith as it's possible to have is really important. I love that because it, when I first started with a podcast, it was for the Feminist Library. Love their work. <clears throat> me too but I which is so normal and then eventually we did get a what do you call it like a loan kind of thing but at the beginning I was paying for everything and paying for the books and everything yeah I had a weekend job at the time and the podcast as you know it takes a lot of prep it's it a like huge a amount of work. job yeah totally and my mum would help me Amazing. you know a lot of the time she would get me the books or yeah. you know when I was skint she would put money in my account yeah amazing. and it does make you think if I didn't have that, I wonder if I would even be able to do it because yeah. there's no way I'd be able to just have a weekend job. Completely. So basically, we just... It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. It's really tough. Yeah. And I think it's about it's about being open and acknowledging these things because also, you know, like a lot... Of, I wish creativity could exist separate from money, but it can't because you need time. Like, this is Virginia Woolf's whole thing in a room of one's own you need time and you need space to write or to make art or to make music whatever it is these things cost money because of the system under which we live and we are losing out on so much phenomenal work from people who just didn't have the fortune of birth to be born into wealth or to encounter wealth in some way later in their life so what do we do vote the Tories out yeah. revolution <laughs> talk about it yeah. if you start to ask questions of the artists and writers and people in general actually that you come across like how do you make it work how do you make your life work people will be reluctant to answer but it it will be very interesting if you can find out and it kind of reorganized how I thought about the world a little bit when I realized what was valued monetarily in society and what isn't valued monetarily but what people with money want access to right i.e the arts people don't want to pay for it but they want it because it makes them feel good or interested or it enlivens their intellect and so how are you making it work at the moment right now yeah 
it's a hustle. It's uh, a hustle. Yeah, it is. I'm like taking on copywriting, which I hate doing, and it's mm-hmm. time consuming and energy draining, but it pays much better than the other work I do. I'm writing freelance as much as I can. And, you know, I'm doing my taxes at the moment, right? So it's like very confronting because I'm looking at what I've earned and thinking about how I can make that go further next year while also trying to check the desire for money because it's not a great one to let drive your life. And so do you live in a sort of... Because this is what I do. I live in a place where... You know, I'm grateful I've got a bed, but it's not the best because my rent is so low. So it allows me right. to be able to do my creative work as much as possible. So on things that I can save, I truly, truly do. Yeah. Do you do that? I am messier with it than that. Right. And also the thing that's <laughs> really different now is that I'm in a partnership with someone who has a stable income. So that also has a massive effect on everything. And there is still some sort of family support in the picture for me. So that makes it much more stable. But we're in this place where we're considering trying to have a kid and that changes how you think about everything, right? Does it ever make you think, oh, should I have a sensible job and not... Yeah, Yeah, massively. Do you you get tempted? Totally, yeah, Yeah, totally. And then I remember that I'm too unruly to work within that structure in a way that would work for me or for the employer right let alone the fact that like I do think if you are an artistic temperament you have to respect that yes and you have to allow it to guide you because you'll just be miserable you just be miserable yeah and I I think that like joy and pleasure in life is vital it's vital I think it's easy to get kind of obsessed with the idea that like material well-being is more important and it's not true yes, so not true it's really not true yes. hence going back to that thing we were saying about you could have all the things in the world you could have the house in LA yes. and the chef and whatever it is that would make your heart sing and be absolutely destitute internally because you're not fulfilling your kind of profound gift yeah. I suppose or talent and I think that everybody has a talent I don't think that that makes you special or unique but I think that talent's require honoring otherwise they will pursue you and make the the fact that you're unable to honor them will make you miserable so miserable and that's why i think conversations about how everybody makes it work are so important because there are so many people out there who are not permitted to listen to their talent and and pursue it because of economic circumstance do you see what i mean i tell you what though sometimes as well it's important to check ourselves to see when are we using it as an excuse oh my god right because (laughs) i i mean it was even recently i went on a date with a guy and he works for a record label but he wants to make music and you know so he's given me the spiel of I've got a full time job at this record label I've got no time to do my music and I I do have to say I mean I know it's very hard when you've got a full time job but do it on your weekends man do your music when you get home instead of watching Big Brother or whatever it is you know so I think that's important as well to check did you say that to him? I think I said something along Amazing. the lines to yeah. I, I love it, cracking the whip on a date. I really yeah. I just haven't <laughs> I haven't got much patience for that because yeah. me as well. You know, even yeah, with yeah. the feminist library thing, when you work in weekends and and again, I was privileged. Like my mum was helping me, but you, you know, I had no days off. But you just make it work. You've got to make it work. Yeah, I agree totally. It's hard, but you you know. Yeah, you make the choice. You make the choice. Yeah. 
and I find that energy as well very stifling when yeah. someone's giving excuses oh, and not course. going oh, for God, it. Of course, yeah, it's not appealing, is it? I think also because we all have that tendency within ourselves. So if yes. you see it in someone else, Absolutely. you're like, fuck no, yeah. I deal with this enough already. Yes. Like, please. I deal with that a lot in myself. Yeah, same. Procrastination is something for you. Yeah, big is time. It? Oh my God, big time. And the thing about procrastination... <laughs> fear. ...is that, yeah, it's total fear. Fear and self-doubt and self-criticism. I have, like, when I'm at my best, when I'm at my most kind of level... I'm able to welcome it into my practice as part of my practice. When I'm at my most neurotic, I get trapped in it and it's painful. Painful. Yeah, yeah. really painful. Sometimes it's painful. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And so now, would you say you write every day or no? No, I don't. And, and I'm annoyed that I don't. But I needed to rest. Right. Um, I need to break from one thing before I can move on to the next thing. I need a period of silence and clarity. I need to mourn the loss yeah. of the thing. Mourning the perfect idea of what it was gonna be that I had in my head that inevitably it isn't in reality. And the distance between what it has ended up being and what I hoped it would be. <sighs> and that's, like, that's a complicated way to feel, but it's also really enlivening because you're like, okay, let's go the next time, right? Like, how can I improve my skill with the next thing? Oh, funny. So you don't look at it and think this is a masterpiece? God, no. no. Absolutely not. No, I look <sighs> at it and I see it as a, like, sincere and yeah. noble attempt at something. All I see in it when I really look at it are the holes, do you know what I mean? And the things that I wasn't quite able to pull off. Do you think all writers feel that way towards their oh, books? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, a lot of the writers I've interviewed would say so, yeah. yeah. I think you have to be very arrogant yeah. not to feel that way, right? But I also <laughs> think that, like, it's part of recognising that every work of art is produced within certain conditions. And those conditions are how much time you had, what state you were in at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Everything, you know? And that's why I think the same book would come out totally differently if it was written at different points in your life. Yes. Right? The same idea would be rendered completely differently depending on when you came to it. And so that's part of accepting the limitations of any piece of art. And I think accepting and recognising that those limitations are a part of the uniqueness of the of the piece of the work. I tell you what, you've got a line in your book. It's by Louise Bourgeois, right? And it's an artwork that she did saying something like, art is a guarantee of sanity. Yeah, love that Isn't line. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's one that I live by, truly. If you experience your sanity as something that comes and goes, which I definitely do, yeah. then art is a place that you can go for refuge and to like recover it. And that means like spending time with the art of other people and also maybe making art yourself. But I also see it to mean that like the sanest people in the world are the artists. Mm -hmm. It is sane to be hypersensitive. Like it, it is sane to be, to not be impervious yes. to the world around you. That's sanity. It is sane to be aware that death is always close. Change is the only thing we can count on. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your favourite writer, which I'm so glad you picked Maggie Nelson. I love, love, love yeah, Maggie Nelson. Amazing. Why do you love her? I think she is a truly original thinker and she was a real inspiration in when I was trying to find a way to write 
that wasn't constrained by academia but didn't mean throwing the baby out with the bathwater because I love thinking critically Mm. and she writes about the self but she always writes about the self in the context of Mm. much much broader ideas and that's fantastic have you ever met her yeah we interviewed her on the podcast you did yeah and what was she like she was amazing she was very funny Hmm. quite sort of sharp you know like a bit spiky which I always really like you know I think she's just a phenomenally intelligent person did you ever feel because of the podcast you were chatting to a lot of amazing writers when you were writing your own book did you ever feel the pressure of oh my god yeah yeah it's awful and a friend of mine once said to me and I was really struggling with writing she was like dude you're literally in conversation with some of the best writers in the world like of course it's freaking you out you know Um, And you did it anyway. (laughs) And I did it anyway. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that you see it as part of your process. Feeling that anxiety and that fear is part of the process. Yeah, I think, you know, my partner always says this thing and I think he's so spot on. He's like, you always know it's a good idea when you're scared to look at it Mm -hmm. in the eye. When you get that kind of anxiety (laughs) feeling of like, I don't want to touch it. I almost don't want to pursue it because I don't want it to let me down. You know, that fear, that can be an indicator that you've got something you know I just want to find a way where every single day I do not let that fear win and I'm like it's part of the process yeah the fear and the anxiety isn't necessarily a bad thing not at all a really helpful thing someone said to me (sighs) once was that that fear and excitement present the same way in the body it's so So useful and so true and sometimes I think it's about slightly tricking yourself like if you feel that anxiety be like what if I was excited actually you know say on the day where you do have to do your writing and you really 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 don't feel like it at all what do you do I struggle basically (laughs) I struggle and I essentially drag myself (laughs) kicking and screaming to the chair you know what I mean and like it's just hard it's It's hard. hard you know I'm unruly and my process is chaotic but Often, I have to let myself dick around for ages before I can drag myself to the chair, whether it's like watching some crap on the internet or tidying up, I don't know, whatever, but not doing the thing. That's where I have to recognise that procrastination is part of the deal and then just eventually like boot myself into the seat. And it's never as bad as I think it's going no. to be, is it? It's just never as Once bad. Once you started, mm-hmm. you're away after 20 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Let's and also... It. If there are days when you can't do it, don't waste any more time beating yourself up about it. Just accept that that happened and it's okay and you're human and sometimes it's not going to be all, you know, gold stars all the time. I think it's a really important message to kind of hold on to. It's a magical experience, would you say, creating art? Yeah, yeah. It's it's another worldly thing. You'd have to have a certain type of personality, would you say, or not necessarily? I don't know. I think often it's actually just about having the opportunity. Yeah. You know, which is why I I always come back to that because... Yeah. How could you possibly find out whether you had that in you if Mm. every day you are caregiving, working, you know, making food for everybody? and Like, it's just not possible. So I don't... I don't subscribe to the idea that it's a certain type of personality. I think it's hmm. a combination of circumstance and drive and... Drive as well. Drive and also, I think, you know, time. Yeah. And a mental space of a certain kind, right? 
Yeah. Do you ever question why am I allowed to do it? And, you know, that person that has that full-time job that's caring for others. Yeah. yeah, all the time. And also, you know, the times in my life where I really haven't been able to do it, where when I was looking after my dad, when I've been yeah. to my mom, like, mm. you know, I think a lot actually about how ambition, creativity, also living a full life, living a life that involves responsibility to other people. There are people out there, writers out there, who their writing is all they need to feel fulfilled and satisfied. They don't pursue yeah. necessarily relationships yeah. or they don't pursue family yeah. or they need to separate themselves from their family of origin in order to be able to do it. Then there are other people for whom like family chosen or otherwise is a really vital part of their practice. And that's more what I'm like. I'm right. someone who relationships are a really huge part of my life and they feed my creativity but they also just feed my spirit and my soul and my um, mind mm. has meant letting go of certain ambitions actually oh, recognizing that if you pour an enormous amount of your time into things other than your work you will work less yeah and that's fine <laughs> if it's fine for you yes. if it's not fine for you then it's not fine do you see what I mean like yes. there's no one way at all the more I chat to writers the more I see do you, did you get this with the podcast like you said it's just so many different ways of doing it 100%. some people think writing very hard other people think it's really fun other people you know fear it other people love it other people write every day other people write once a month yeah yeah it's just I think the best way, honestly, is like getting therapy like you and just figuring out yeah. who you are yeah. and the best and way to do it. Yeah, totally. And how you navigate that with the other choices that you make. Yeah. Like, this question of ambition gets really sticky because I think ambition is important, right? It's part of yeah. what um, drives a person to do things. At the same time, <laughs> ambition is very much focused on the future it's very much focused on an outcome it's focused on yes. an achievement and yes the present moment is all there is really it's all that exists so right now literally all that exists is me and you talking yes. which is amazing like the book is by our feet anchoring the microphone stand it doesn't really exist right now like this is what exists right now and like one of the most profound things that I have learned this far in my you know existence on planet earth is that changing your mind is really liberating yeah yeah we're always changing completely the self that wrote the yeah. book is not the same as the <laughs> self that lived the experiences in the book yeah. and is also not the same as the person sitting in front yeah. of you now that's why I try not to cringe at work I've done when I was way younger because yeah, it was just say. where I was at at that moment absolutely also it's completely natural to cringe at it I have the same thing but like it's part <laughs> of the process of being an artist you put yeah. things out there you have to you don't have to stand by them Maggie Nelson has a quote that goes I'm always yeah. something like I'm always learning and evolving yeah completely and the minute you stop <gasps> yeah. that's when you're in trouble yeah and this is why I also don't write all the time because writing is not listening. Maybe the way to say it is actually when I'm in flow, it is listening. But in the building blocks to achieve that state of flow, it's deep, deep focus. It's like hyper focus on the yes. idea. It's trying to work it out. I need to switch between being an open channel and a closed channel, like being in connection with others and then being alone. Oh my God, this is work. where I'm at in life. Okay. Man. And sometimes I need to remind myself that creativity, it comes from living as well. And Absolutely. that doing the work isn't living. Yeah. 
and that's what feeds the work yeah living that's exactly right yes and it, again it's just about the balance and accepting yes. that sometimes the balance is going to be totally out of whack and that's normal <laughs> and that's fine and like figuring out when to be an open channel and when to be a closed channel is part of the work yeah. for me oh, that's beautiful learning how to really listen when you're talking to one another is a vital skill for creativity as well because it's the same kind of listening that you do when you're listening to your own intuition when you're listening oh, to oh, yeah. you know uh, inspiration so finding hmm. a way of asking yourself like do I have enough of each of these things yeah. in amongst all of the other shit I'm having to navigate earning money yes. caring for people whatever it is right I think that's kind of a path to a sense of fulfillment. And for me, when those things are out of whack, that's when I get more fixated on, I'm not earning enough money. Yes. I want oh more things. God, yes. I want those shoes, whatever it is, right? Like to fill the, the hole or yeah. I'm eating more chocolate or whatever it is. Yeah. Or I'm escaping into watching hours and hours of television instead of sleeping, which is necessary to be a functioning person. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Life, eh? Yeah. <laughs> it's a mad experience. It's a mad experience. But how fucking lucky are we that oh we get to have it? I don't know. Do I don't know. I mean? Once I go, you know, in old age, yeah. I, I don't know if I want to be back. It's quite stressful. What do you think happens? When I first started recovery, I'd go into churches. Seeking, seeking. Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hare Krishna. Uh, yeah. Go through every single route. But yeah reincarnation it makes more sense because i've had those encounters with people where i really have felt like i've met them in the previous life mm, definitely what do you think happens well it's interesting it's interesting because you've been with your dad yeah on exactly. the final stages yeah. i haven't had that like i felt his death what do yeah. you mean you felt it so you know when he first moved into the nursing home i went frequently and then Mm -hmm. Of course, visiting stopped. And so we had to have a relationship by phone. And it was all very difficult because he was losing the ability to speak, which happens in, in Alzheimer's. To my, I remember my hands completely cramped up because I was holding this iPad, right, for me and my mum so we could watch him. And of course, the iPad ran out of battery. And the nurse was like, listen, he's really peaceful at the moment. Like, I think it's, you know, take a beat. You're exhausted. This vigil has been, you know, long and gruelling. And just come back online when you know the thing is charged so we went for a walk outside and I just wanted to see some trees really and we walked around the block a couple of times and as we were coming back in I felt it in my body and I said he's gone no way and they were you know mum and John were like no, no you know um, I'm sure he's not like call the nurse call the nurse and I rang the nursing home and the carer who answered, I said, I just, can you just go in and check on him? I've just got a really strong feeling. I can't explain it, but I've got a really strong feeling. And she was like, oh, I was just with him, darling. He was fine. But of course, I'll go and check for you. And she walked in the room and she gasped and she went, oh, my God. Wow. His skin is still warm. He's just gone. Oh, my God. And wow. I have no doubt that I, that I knew exactly the moment. And That's insane. Yeah, but it it also isn't. No. Right? Because here's a person who I was deeply attached to, deeply connected to. We shared genetics, we shared DNA. It was really, really, really profound and extremely beautiful. And it makes total sense to me because he had my total attention right yeah and I think our our attention when we pay attention to one another something metaphysical happens mm. I think that there's like a profound 
an incredibly exciting yes. realm beyond what we know and what we can see. Um, when it comes to kind of what happens after death, I don't know. I know what you mean about feeling like you've known someone in another lifetime. Did you have that with your partner? I wouldn't call it that exactly, right. but there was, when we met, we recognised each other. Yes. Well, that's what I mean. Make of that what you will, right? Isn't that right? mad, like, though, that feeling? It is. It's really mad. And I think that the recognition... It's like I, a soul thing. Like, you recognise each other's soul or something. Yeah. There was a sense of, like, really profound curiosity and also a deep sense that we were safe with each other. Yes. Straight away. Yes. You know? That, but that was that kind of feeling of recognition. I very strongly believe that, that there are things that we can't explain and that there are levels of consciousness that are constantly tuned into other realms, but I don't know what I believe those realms to be. So yeah. I could never say yeah. kind of confidently that I believe in reincarnation. But I feel like we're in the basement somewhere just trying to figure out the meaning of life. <laughs> Honestly, what better way is there to spend your time? Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I think that there's... My dad and I actually, you know, and he was a scientist and he was a very rational man. Oh, he was a scientist. He was a lot of things. But yeah, we used to talk about space a lot. But anyway, I would send him emails linking to newspaper articles about space travel or about whether there were aliens and things out there and be like, what do you think of this? And he'd be like, yeah, I mean, of course. Of course there's life out there because we know so little. So my uncle's a pilot and he has seen things that you just can't explain I up in the air. But the problem is, and so is the first officer, you know, with him, but they don't say anything because... because they wouldn't pass the psychological yeah, test if they did. Yeah, you would be <laughs> deemed as crazy, so, yeah. you know. And the same is true of creativity, that you basically... Yeah. You have to proceed on very limited knowledge, fully aware that it might be wrong. And you, in proceeding with it, you might discover that it's wrong and have to start yes. from scratch, right? Fear is difficult to live with, but I reject it. Yeah. Because I think yeah. it's false. I think it's a false security. Yes, it is. Right? I try to tell myself that a lot, especially lately. It's yeah. like, I'll be okay. I'll oh, be okay no be matter okay. what. You will be okay no matter what. It is so phenomenal what you can survive, honestly. <laughs> and, you know... As you know, being someone in recovery, you've already chosen something very different from what you had before. You've already survived a lot, no question. And that demonstrates that you have this phenomenal capacity for change and for inner strength. And you have a deep self-protective mechanism in there somewhere because you chose to let go of the thing that was self-destructive in you. Like, that's... That's really real. That's yours. No one can take it away from you, you know? It's I know, beautiful. it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh my God, I'm enlightened after this one. Okay, to wrap it up, I'm going to do an angel card reading. Oh my God, I've oh never God. done one of these before. Right, okay, so shuffle. Okay. And as you shuffle... Think of a question that you want in life an answer to or what's been on your mind and let the angels or the universe or nature or whatever it is reply through the cards. With this question of parenthood, will I be able to accept whatever outcome comes? Oh, isn't that gorgeous? Biggest question. (laughs) Okay, keep shuffling and feel them separate into two piles. Okay. 
watched Oh, wait a minute. The angels are talking. Are, oh, they, are not? they I don't know. Are you feeling a vibe from those cards? I mean, they jumped out. They did. Yeah, they jumped so I think out. We're going to take them? That one, yeah. Okay, all right. Are we ready? I'm ready. Oh, oh my God. This is beautiful. Okay. So the name of the card is Constant Progress. Oh, my God. Let me see in the book what it says. Okay, lay it on me. Oh, okay, so it says, the angels are saying you're on the right path, even if it looks like it's going very slowly. Wow. Sometimes you compare yourself to others and you feel like you should be more ahead. Mm. But Ain't that the truth? <laughs> but look where you are and the lessons that you've learned and the people that you've helped. From now on, just give a tiny, tiny little step towards it and everything will be fine. Wow. That's really meaningful actually because the question of like parenthood has been such an ambivalent one for me when I was in my 20s I was very certain I didn't want to be a parent and that certainty was really wonderful it's very liberating I didn't feel the anxiety that a lot of my friends felt about like needing to meet someone and have a kid but in the last kind of I would say well I met my partner about five years ago and when we first met, he, he was also quite ambivalent about it. But quite quickly in our relationship, he, he said, you know what, I think I want to have a kid with you. Like, you, I, want, I think we, we could do it together. Yeah. And I had a block in my mind that actually to have a kid is conventional, which is nonsense. Yeah. Because convention is nonsense. Do yes. you see what I mean? Like, if you can rise yes. above these sort of... Anyway it's been this kind of slow turning around and now I'm in a place of, of kind of anxiety of like well what if we can and what if we can't right like either way once you admit that maybe you want something it's frightening because maybe you won't get it maybe you will and both of those things are terrifying so the reason I asked that question of the cards was that part of the anxiety I've been feeling is like if I do get pregnant will I be able to accept what comes no matter what that is whether that's a, a you know a pregnancy that carries to term or not, whether that's a child who is what I expect or not, right? Like any of these things. Or if I can't, will I be able to accept that too? And so that is so meaningful that basically like we're on the path of trying, we're on the path of seeing whether it's possible for us biologically. Um, and that's the right path. <laughs> and whatever follows will be, will be the outcome and that will be tolerable in whatever shape or form it takes oh my god yeah thank you so much this is beautiful no that's really I've nearly cried like three times during this whole (laughs) thing Oh my god! Just the best to talk to you. I could just talk to you for six hours. My god! Oh my god! I've got tears in my eyes. I just give you a hug. Yes, please. Oh my love, you make the most beautiful mum. You know, you know this anyway. Whatever life has in store. Thank you. That's such a gorgeous thing to say. Exciting times ahead. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, my love. We'll see. If you like this episode, subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. If you want to support us, you can donate via our website at www.wormsmagazine.com. Alternatively, get yourself the latest Worms magazine. Thank you guys for supporting us. You keep us going and we love and appreciate every single one of you.